Welcome to an all-new episode of Get Lit with Leanna, the podcast. Join me as I sit down with a new guest author in each episode to discuss their books, careers, and everything in between. Today, I'm sitting down with author Kara Alloway, who wrote the new book, Most Hated. Kara was actually the star of The Real Housewives of Toronto, so I really loved getting to chat with her about that experience, but also how that experience kind of lended to the background of this story. I was really shocked by this conversation. I wasn't expecting us to get into such deep conversations about feminism and female friendships. So this is a really, really fun conversation that I think will actually be pretty shocking and very different than any of the other conversations I've done so far. Without further ado, my conversation with the very sweet Cara Alloway starts right now. Welcome, Cara, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Obviously, this is like a very different type of episode for me because I've never had anybody that's been on reality TV on my podcast, especially a book podcast. But this is very exciting because I do love reality TV. So this is like a perfect blend of my two favorite things ever. So welcome. How are you? Thank you. And I am honored to be your first reality television participant. <laughs> May I be the first of many? I'm not yes. sure. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes. I love it. I'm so excited. So before we talk about your new book, Most Hated, which is obviously people are talking about it. I've seen it out on bookshelves. I'm very excited for you. This is like very, very exciting. I see it on my bookstagram home feed when I'm scrolling. So all the good things. But before we start, I would love to know more about your background, like specifically your writing background, because I know before all this TV stuff, you did have a writing background, which is very cool. So tell me a little bit about that and kind of how it led you, I guess, to like wanting to write a book. Sure. Well, actually, I've always wanted to write a book. I'm one of those people, even before I married my husband, I like, I don't know, I had, I felt like I had this novel in me. Some I've, I've been a storyteller maybe all my life and I never realized it. And uh, so I knew that I wanted to um, write a novel. I didn't know, I knew it would be about female friendships because I come from a very female centric background. I come from a family of myself and my sister. So we're girls. I have, I went to a private girls school, very matriarchal, mostly girl cousins. So I've always been fascinated by female relationships. And it's interesting because I can remember sitting on a swing set at my primary school when I was eight years old and watching other girls interact. And I just can remember at recess, I'd get lost in that. Like maybe I was a daydreamer and I was thinking stories in my head. I don't know. So I went to university. I studied English literature. I had no clue what I wanted to do. Then I became a boat tour guide in the Toronto Harbor. Then I became an aerobics. I mean, I was all over the map. Oh my gosh. I had no idea what I was going to do. I did. You name the job. I've done it. I was a <laughs> hostess at the keg. I was a bartender, the worst bartender in the history of bartenders. Oh my so gosh. bad. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, then I moved to Los Angeles because I, I wanted to go to L.A. I, I loved L.A. I loved the weather. I loved everything like that. And I got a job as a private party coordinator at a very posh Ladies Who Lunch restaurant. I'm talking uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, Nancy Reagan. The Ladies Who Lunched were lunching at my restaurant. And um, I would do these great epic parties. But at the nighttime, we didn't have such a big business. So Condé Nast was close by in Beverly Hills. And because we were kind of empty in the night, they would rent out the whole restaurant at a very reasonable price (laughs) and host whoever was on the cover of their issue that month. They would host a party for that person. So the one that I remember the most is when Ivana Trump was on the cover of Vanity Fair in a yellow dress. I want to say this was in the early 90s. And we did everything yellow for her. It was like yellow linens, yellow flowers. And I think she was just divorced from Donald and sort of like coming into her own or something. It was anyway, it was very 
big shoulder pads, very wow. early 90s. Yeah. So I got to know the, I'm sorry, this is such from point A to point C, but bear with me. Yes. So I got to know the the people at Condé Nast really well. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to write and I think it would be really cool to write for a magazine. They Their titles were Vogue, Condé Nast Traveler, Glamour. Right. I mean, they were, they had all the titles. So the office yeah. manager said, you know what, we're starting a new magazine. It's called Allure Magazine. And the editor is Linda Wells, who has a journalistic background. So she's looking to take a journalistic approach to fashion and beauty. So she wants to hire writers. And I said, well, I, I'm a writer. <laughs> So silly because I wasn't. I had only taken English Literature and University. She said, send us over some samples of your work and we'll get it in front of them. So I called my mom. This was, you know, just the beginning days of the internet. So I wasn't able to say, email this to me, mom. And my mom, I said, quick, send me some essays from university. So the essay that she sent was Hamlet's Fatal Flaw of Procrastination. Typed out, okay. And I sent it over to Condé Nast. So they called me immediately upon receipt and said, you are such a hoot. Wait, why my hoot? I didn't get it. They said, we actually meant your published work. But to tell you the truth, we read your essay and it was an interesting argument and they want to meet you. So I interviewed and I landed the job because it was just starting. I mean, this is a case of being in the right place at the right time. I was all of a sudden the assistant West Coast editor at Allure magazine, working in the Condé Nast offices, never worked for a magazine before, never published anything in my life, learned like from the bottom up, I mean, let me be very clear here. I mean, I was bringing, I was serving coffee. I was driving out to Malibu to be present on a shoot with um, Naomi Campbell and some of the other supers because they needed a rep present. I mean, I was doing everything. I was going to Melrose and writing reviews of cool boutiques they had heard about. So I was, uh, you know, every, what was that expression, a pot on every burner? I was, yeah, I, was yeah, there. Yeah. I was doing everything. But what great exposure. I learned so much. And I shared office space with the people from Glamour who were lovely. And it was so funny because it was like a high school. The Glamour people were yeah. so into makeup. And the Condé Nast Traveler people had just come back from this great place. They just right. got off the plane from this great place. There was a magazine. I don't think it's around now. It's called. It was called Self. And it was a fitness magazine. And they would come to the office in workout clothes, of course. Right. The Vogue girls, Lisa Love and another girl, they were so cool. And they were always having cigarettes in the hallway. And they were like the cool girl. It was just such a hoot. It's such a fun time. So, you know, fast forward. Here I am saying, you know, I still have this novel in me. I still have this novel in me. I do the first episode of Real Housewives of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I said, now I know I've got my I've got my backdrop. Right. And the reality show is more a backdrop in the novel as opposed to, you know, I give a peek behind. But that wasn't the meat and potatoes of what I wanted to talk about female friendships. And when I talked to other girls about this, I said specifically, you know, there's a lot of women who interact with other women and who I, I call it. It's not my term. It's coined from Dr. Phyllis Chesler, misplaced female misogyny, which Mm. is women being misogynist to other women, Mm -hmm. which we don't think of when we think of misogynist behavior. We think of men towards women. And in my research, I I read this Dr. Phyllis Chesler's book called Women's Inhumanity to Women, which is like such a great read, such a fascinating book and should be required reading for every female on the planet. It's so good. She spends the first seven pages apologizing for writing it, which when I was reading that, I said, wow, "Wow. here is a woman who has written many, many books, 
many, lots of research. She spent, I think, seven plus years researching this, but she's spending seven pages apologizing to the sisterhood because she's that scared of offending the sisterhood. She's second generation feminist. And she said, I'm sorry, it's like friendly fire, but it's got to be discussed. And the more I talked to other girls, the more they said, you know, I broke up with my best friend and it stung more than any breakup I've Mm -hmm. ever experienced. Women interacting with women, we are created to be such relational beings. And I think the world loves to watch it. I, I call my case in point is how everybody gravitates towards watching Kate and Megan, how yeah. everybody gravitates when Selena and uh, Haley Haley Bieber are, yeah. are going at it on the internet. We all want to watch. We all want to know about that. And even, you know, the recent scandal incident on Vanderpump Rules, how that bled into mainstream media, because it was, you know, women acting inhumanely. I'm sorry, she had sex in or in her girlfriend's car with her girlfriend's boyfriend. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Yeah. So, that's my very long-winded answer. To no, it's amazing. And it provi- yeah, no, but it provides like so much background and context to your novel, but also like the reason and the inspiration behind it. But before we get into the whole TV of it all, because obviously I need to know how that whole situation, how that whole opportunity came to you, but your background, like you mentioned, it lies in fashion. So I know you've spoken to like a lot of very cool people and you've been on like the flip on the opposite side of the interview, like getting to chat with very, very influential, impactful, bold women? Like who was someone that you spoke to early on in your career that maybe left a lasting impact on you? And like, did they give you any type of, not maybe advice, but like any any piece of information that kind of really struck a chord with you or resonated with you, something that you took along with you as you move forward in well, your there's career? Been- that's a great question. And and I've been really fortunate because there have been a lot. Are you if you're are you referring to writing or just in general? Honestly, in general. In general. Okay. So I would definitely have to say Linda Wells, who was such a promoter of intelligent writing. She she rocked my world and probably spoiled me to write for any other magazine. When I returned to Canada, having worked for Allure magazine, I was hired to be the editor-in-chief of a teen magazine. And I said, This is great because this teens are so discerning. This is the perfect place to stretch my Allure muscles. When we were at Allure, she said, let me tell you something. I love my advertisers and we have a magazine because of my advertisers, but I never want you to cowtail to the advertisers Mm -hmm. when you're writing copies or reviews. You don't need to say anything negative about them, but do not promote a product if it's not worthy of promotion. She was almost like the consumer reports of fashion and beauty. And she took such a different approach, groundbreaking that had never been taken before. So the journalistic approach, as well as the way she photographed products. Now, when you see product photographed in a magazine, you see the smears of lipstick and whatnot. That's her. Before that, it was all regurgitated um, PR. You know, the PR would send renderings of the product and it would be a beautifully open compact. No, Linda was saying to the photographers, get it, get your set person in there with a chisel and get that eyeshadow out crumpled and let's photograph it beautifully and show the texture of it and all that. So she really changed that. It was funny because when I came back to Canada and I was doing this teen magazine, I said, this is great because teens are so discerning and I'm going to (laughs) deliver them, you know, cutting edge. My poor publisher was like, what are you doing? (laughs) We need our advertisers and you're really annoying them because, you know, you're not mentioning this. this, this." And I was like, I'm not going to lie to the teens because the teens won't trust me and I need their trust and they know what's right and what's not. So you know, there was lots of days I was crying in the office. Ah, I can't do this. I took it so <laughs> the, I'm hills sure. I, the hills I died on. But, you know, so that was she was a really huge force in my writing career and continued to support me. Like I am still in touch with her and continued to support me mm-hmm. on a go forward basis. She's just such a champion of women, which I love women writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one would probably be my really good friend, Kathy Hilton, who really I think what she taught me and she continues to teach me to this 
day. Everybody needs a person, a friend like this in their life. Like, cool it. Stop. Enough. Mm. You know, she did this on the show one time. That's her. Like, stop, Kara. Be nice to people. Kindness first. Which, not that I wasn't a kind person, but I think that I was, you know, one of those over anxious, but I have to speak the truth and all right. that. And she's like, sometimes you can speak the truth in private and you don't need to, you know, she was mm. really good that way. At She is such an, um, she's just a very honest, real person. Yeah. And she taught me the appeal of that. Also a ton of humility and a ton of, you don't always have to, you'll know when it is the right time to speak. And when it's the wrong time to speak, be quiet. Because if you're speaking when it's the wrong time to speak, you're going to look like a fool. Right. And I really had to learn that, but she taught that to me and I'm so appreciative of that. So she was very really? huge impactful. Then mm-hmm. the cool people that I interviewed, like Stella, Stella McCartney, yes. don't take yourself too seriously. She's such a cut up. Remember, yeah. I don't, well, no, you don't remember because you're way too young, but I remember <laughs> watching footage of the Beatles. I'm too young too, but I remember watching footage of the Beatles and Paul and John were always the crack ups, right? People would try to do serious interviews with them and they made the press kind of insane because they were always ha ha ha. Yeah. Stella's like that. Like she's a mm-hmm. cut up. So when I interviewed her and Phoebe Philo, they were like, kibbutzing around and being jokesters. And I said, you know, Stella, I had this radio show and I said, would you do a promo for me? And she said, absolutely. So she got on and she said, I'm Antonio Barati and you should, and she was naming every other designer except herself. And I was kind of like, okay, but can you do one for you please? But (laughs) she was just a cut up. And so she taught me, don't take yourself so seriously. You're here for a good time, not a long time, which I think is an important lesson also for someone like me to learn. Um, Diane von Furstenberg. Mm-hmm. When you sit, sit like a cat because she sat on the sofa and she was so graceful and long oh and lean. And I just, I was obsessed with her. I just loved her. Yeah. And she also taught me when you answer a question, she would take like a count of three and then answer. And it had me, wait, um, what will yeah. she say next? Yeah. Like, yeah. So she was a real cool one too. Crazy. I, I'm really been lucky to like meet a lot of really cool people. A hundred percent. Without a doubt. Yes. And like more than just meeting them, like they've less left lasting impressions on you and like parting words of wisdom, which is so impressive. But now I need to talk about the TV show of it all. The, <laughs> like the housewives. How did this even come across your desk? Like how did this opportunity even come to be? Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Such a windy road. So remember the storyteller. Before I had, you know, before writing the book, I mean, it was in the back of my head. I will write the book. I will write the book. But I was, in all truthfulness, a bored mom. I had raised my kids. My youngest was maybe 13 or 14. And, uh, you know, I'd done the carpool. I, I, yeah. I wasn't even carpooling. I'd done the pick up and drop off. I'd, I'd done all of that. And I love my children and I love that season of my life. And I look back on it so fondly. I'd done the after school activities, but I was bored. And my husband's mom 
um, had been in the same place. And then she, coolly enough, she became an author. Unfortunately, I never met her. She passed away before. Mm-hmm. But so he, as a young boy, remembers his dad being so supportive of his mom saying, you need to, you need to reinvent yourself. Now the kids are raised. So he was always saying to me, well, what are you going to do next? So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to produce a reality television show because I was in the charity circuit in Toronto. And I thought, this is such great organic conflict. You you put a, a red carpet out in Toronto in March. And if we have a deep freeze, it turns into a slip and slide. <laughs> Happened to me. Guests falling all over the place. Oh, my gosh. You know, oh my so God. much. You're, you're in the kitchen, they're making... A, a chicken, a rubber chicken dinner, excuse the expression, but they're making the rubber, chi- rubber chicken dinner for a thousand people. Yeah. The unorganized chaos that goes, or the yeah. organized chaos that goes on in the kitchen. So I just thought there's so much here. This could be like million dollar listing, but for charity events. Also the planners, the planners show up at each other's events yeah. and you know, they're, they're critiquing them and whatnot the same way in million dollar listing, the realtors show up. So I thought this is great. So I pitched it to a production company. They said, okay, we're going to buy the rights to this and we're going to sit with it. We're going to massage it and see how we can make this work. So I was working with this production company. They called me up and said, okay, we're doing Toronto housewives and we think you should be on the show. And here's why. And I was like, why tell me? And they said, because this show can be your sizzle. So a sizzle is a show you make to sell to the networks, you know, saying I want to sell the show. This can be your sizzle for the show at that time I was calling sweet charity. This can be your sizzle for sweet charity. And you can be like Lisa Vanderpump who did Vanderpump Rules. And at the back of my head, I was thinking, okay, I get it. I'm not sure I want to be on the show. I want to produce the show. But if I have to be on the show, why not? I could do this. I was the child actress. I have friends that were on Housewives. I feel I could do this. I feel this is easy enough. So away I went. No clue. (laughs) No clue what I was doing. Right. Pride comes before a very big fall. (laughs) So what was that experience like being on the show from your point of view? So I went into it thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to share my life. I'm going to share my family. I'm going to be the positive one. I'm going to like everybody. I had no idea what was going on. So first off, I was helping them with the casting. And I knew who wasn't doing the show. They never really tell you who's doing the show. But I brought a lot of my friends and acquaintances forward, suggesting them. And I would say, are you doing Housewives? Are you doing Housewives? So I knew who wasn't doing it because none of them were doing it. So I was thinking, okay, well, then who's left? Who's doing it? I have no idea who's doing it. So that first night that I met everybody, um, and I don't know how to say this, but it was like, I didn't know these people. We had nothing in common. Our lives hadn't intersected before. I knew one participant because I had brought her forward. She was an acquaintance of mine. So not a friend of mine, but they said, you guys are going to be friends in the narrative. And I was like, sure, why not? Absolutely. But she was an acquaintance. So, you know, it's very different than going in with someone who's your friend. For sure. And they like an arm's length. It's good to have an arm's length association when you're casting. I'll, I'll give them credit for that because then you're going to, you're more likely to get the drama because if you're there mm-hmm. with your bestie and there were three very close friends that were cast, that was like one character because you have to understand those people are never going to, you know, have conflict with each right. other. They might have conflict, but that'll be off camera. So that was one character. And then I just remember that first night thinking, oh man, this is going to be tough because I was working and I was working really hard. And it's funny, if you watch that first episode, which I did the other day, and then I think I went and threw up because it's so hard for me to watch. Oh my because God. I just go, it's so unattractive the way I am edited. But I was in there nervous and thinking, okay, find common ground with these people. So I was asking them questions. Where are you from? Mm-hmm. I'm from Banff. Oh, Cool. I've been to Banff. I went skiing with my family there. Tell me, where do you like to ski in Banff? 
what do you do? I'm a yoga instructor. Cool. My husband and I do yoga on date night. Now we do Iyengar, right? It's like this, what kind of yoga do you teach? So here I am like desperately scrambling, you know, I'm from Montreal. Cool. I went to McGill. What's your favorite restaurant in Montreal? Where do you like to get smoked meat in Montreal? Mm -hmm. What's the best place? Here I am asking him, trying to find this common ground that gets edited out to a narrative where Kara is going, we went skiing in Banff at Christmas. I do yoga yoga with my husband. I went to McGill. I'm doing marketing. So hard. When I watched it the other day, I had to go upstairs later and snake my son's drain in his shower. And that was more appealing. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Seriously. It's so hard to watch. It's crazy. brutal because I look and I go, but that's not what happened. And that's not me. And so much so even I saw in the edit, they start to move to another scene and you can still hear my voice in the background talking going, oh, I'm like, oh God, shut up. No, it's really, it's so crazy, the power of the edit. And like, I grew up being obsessed with The Bachelor. Like, that was just my favorite thing ever. Like, I watched it since I was literally, I was way too young. I had never, uh, too young to be exposed to something like that. But it just like became my favorite thing of all time, truly. And like, I was like blogging about The Bachelor. Like, Bachelor Canada sent me out to Vancouver to be on their panels for the after show. Like, I was obsessed. So I'm totally familiar with like the ins and outs and how like producers totally manipulate their cast and like the benefit that it has on them and like how the edits work. But when the show was happening, did you have any, cause obviously like it was pre-recorded and then it came out. Like, did you have any idea of like what type of light they were shedding on you at the time? So episode one, no, but I, I remember I went home that night and I was like, Oh, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. Cause I could just tell I wasn't gelling with the other right. ladies. I could just tell that wasn't happening. Um, probably by the time we got to, I would say episode three or four, mm-hmm. I sensed that in every time I was together with them, I would say something because I am, you know, like I said, Kathy's been working with me. I tend to be, <laughs> a, a, the filter is loose. Right. I, I am a, a truth teller. I am an independent thinker. And I brought that because at the same time, remember, I went into this thinking, I this show needs to be great because I want to do my spinoff. Right. So I was like, we need to have drama. I understood what I needed to bring. Yeah. So here I was bringing it. Now, I think it's really important to say there's a difference between augmenting reality and manipulating reality. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between a good reality television show producer and a hack. A hack will rely on frank inviting and cherry picking because that's what they have to do to right. make good content. Someone like Alex Baskin, 32 Flavors, Truly Original, Shed Media. I mean, I look at what Alex Baskin did this season in Vanderpump Rules, and I think, quite frankly, it's genius. And I have said many times, when it comes around to the Emmys, just give the guy the statue. Because nobody can go up against what he did. The way he has the camera angle zooming in on Tom Sandoval's eyes, the mm-hmm. way the lighting and all of that, that's augmented reality, okay? The action is playing out. It's real. They're just acting it. And mm-hmm. he's just augmenting to turn our head and say, look, look at Tom and Raquel. Right. Look how they're, you know, look over here. Look what's happening with the other characters. So, and and same for um, Salt Lake City last season, the way they, they cut statements that they had made season one, Jen Shaw, for example, with the action that was going on in the last season. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. That's augmenting reality. It's, you know, making us look back to season one. Oh yeah, yeah. she did say that. Didn't she? Yeah. Interesting. Not, not, manip- it's, it's augmenting, not manufacturing. Yeah. What I experienced was manufactured reality. Kara mm-hmm. wasn't there being an asshole the first night. Kara was there trying her best, trying to find common ground with these other mm-hmm. women. Right. So I will say this. So when we got into it um, and we were doing scenes up north, 
I did a scene with one of the wives and she called me aside after and she said, we did a one-on-one and she said, you know, I feel really bad because I said some stuff (laughs) after the first night in an interview about you. And I think I might've misjudged you. And I said, Hey, we're cool. But I knew I was like, oh man, I know I am being done for this. I could just tell by the scenes because you understand you have a story editor that says, okay, Karen, now you're going to do a scene with this person. Now you're, so I could tell. You could tell what they were piecing together. They were having a film. Okay. I get it. I get it. And, and I mean like ridiculous stuff, like now you're going to do a fishing trip up North. Okay. So I dressed like a little cute for fishing. And then they had another character come and dress in this whack outfit. And they were mm-hmm. like, make sure you react when she walks down. And I was like, what the hell? Who's yeah. fishing like that? I mean, I laughed. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, so I just knew. So yes, in answer to your question, I knew at that point. And I could also, you can tell by the questions they ask you in the interview. Right. What, you know, what do you think of this person? So right. I was very keenly aware of that. And I was not going to, you know, they'd say, what do you think about what so-and-so was wearing? What'd you think of her outfit? And I said, you know what? She tried. Hey, I give her credit for trying. Like she was funny. Hey, she was trying to make a yeah. laugh. That was good. That was good shtick. But that all cut, 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 cut. Right. Anything that could paint you in the non-narrative they're going with, they're not going to use. And That's going to be on the cutting room this floor. Was, this was the most outrageous. And I think you can still find it somewhere on a website to do with the show. They would, in the interviews, they would also do these random questions, like random Q and A's. So one of them, they said to me, what do you think about wife swapping? And I was like, wait, is this going on? And I don't even know it. So I was like really taken back. And I went, well, maybe for some other people, but not for me. So then in the, the they have this whole, you know, behind the scenes with the wives, mm-hmm. they have the wives on tequila. So they go, you know, what do you think of tequila? Oh, I like it like this. What do you think of tequila? I like it like this. What does Kara think of tequila? Maybe for some other people, but not for me. When I saw that, I was yeah. like, you little effers. Yeah. yeah, literally, really. So that's a crazy backstory to have to then kind of set your book as the backdrop. So for those who have not yet read the book, we won't go into spoilers, but what is Most Hated about? So Most Hated is six women who sign on to do a revamp of a well-worn reality television show. And the revamp is that the production company has decided they're going to get a Quentin Tarantino type director to direct it because maybe that will have other people that might not normally sign up for a show that would say like, I'm too private or I don't want to do this or there's no no interest to me. Maybe those people would be interested in coming on and it works. So he draws a former actress that wants to uh, have a chance to tell her narrative as well as maybe reboot her career, a social media influencer who, you know, just wants more likes and (laughs) more attention. (laughs) Um, The CEO of a sex toy company who obviously wants to promote her goods, but also, you know, very interested in this, this Quentin Tarantino type who is going to be directing and what he's going to bring. Um, a Broadway producer who is like a unsinkable Molly Brown type character who is the cousin to the actress that was a former Park Avenue princess who then married, um, uh, not royalty, because I didn't want to get in trouble with the royals. She married <laughs> a, she married an earl, um, an aristocrat in England and he gets involved in a me too scandal. So that's why she wants, she's repatriated back to New York and she wants to have a chance to tell her narrative. She's separated from her daughter. It just, her life has just blown up in her face Mm -hmm. and she just wants to rework her life as well as a fading former teen pop star. And, um, I think that's everyone, isn't it? I'm thinking of all these women. And of course, the producer yes. who will, the young producer who is on this because she wants to go on to this director's next project. So she will stop at nothing to make this the most watched, the highest rated, all of that. So here they are all come together for all their different reasons. They all are 
interacting with one another. It's in New York. And people say to me, why New York? Why not Toronto? Mm -hmm. Because I love the energy of New York. Every time I get off the plane in New York and I'm exhausted in that ride, that cab ride from or the Uber ride from the airport to the hotel, I'm like, woo, I love this city. The energy is so great, right? It just wakes you up. It's like a glass of cold water in the face. So that's why New York. And, you know, there's group trips, there's there's marriages that are trying to survive. There's marriages that people thought were solid that maybe weren't so solid as what they thought. There's a lot going mm-hmm. on. There's a lot going on. How did you come up with this cast of characters? Like, did you pull from inspiration of people you've met, people you've worked with, people who were on the show with you when you were on the show? Like, how did you come up with this big band of people? Good question. So I actually, that was my writing process. I started by casting the book and I still have mm-hmm. the cast in my little moleskin um, (laughs) that I was sitting with in a Starbucks writing down, who do I want on this show? So nobody from a housewife past or present on any franchise, my, my show included no inspiration from that. Um, I had a group of women that took me under their wing when I was damaged goods after Toronto housewives who were wives and girlfriends of top tier professional athletes in Toronto. And they had this sort of group that they would get together, a very private group where they would sort of, you know, sit and talk and they wanted to have extreme privacy and accountability to one another. And I would see them meeting at my sports club. And I I knew like I hadn't known any of them and they looked cool. Like they were, some of them were my age, some of them are younger. So I remember I approached them and I said, what's your group? And and can I be a part of this group? Like, what are you guys up to here? And the leader of the group was like, no, this is a closed group. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. And mm-hmm. two others who were with her said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't know who she is. She can for <laughs> sure join her group. She needs some friends and she needs a safe space. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. They That's really so funny. Sweet. And they were wise yeah. girlfriends. So hence Delia was born, um, who is the wife of a very famous tight end Football. Yes. I also love football. Go Chiefs. I'm a Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, so fanatic, was my fiance. Get out. Yes. Really? They were Travis big Kelsey. Chief. Yeah. So Travis Kelsey is a little bit of my inspo for me. Okay. Oh, that's okay. so funny. That's amazing. That's so funny. Yeah. So um yeah. And and I'm very quick to say there was nothing that was shared with me in this group because I don't want people to think, oh, was one of the women in the group right. like a Dahlia character? Right. No, but these women who were so amazing to me, would they were able to, when I was writing the book, I would call them up. I go, okay, so tell me some of the people, like what's some of the things that bug people about right. being the wife? And then they would say, right. well, first of all, you never have any privacy. There's always someone there. So the right. time you do have with your husband is so special. Mm-hmm. They also were able to share about, you know, you feel it's such a lonely life because if your husband is traded, you move to this new town. First of all, you have no clue how to drive. 100%. Toronto was a really hard city to drive around in for new people. Like yeah. one of them got stranded in East York and called her husband crying, going, I have no idea how to find oh my, my way gosh. home. And she, had GPS yeah. and she was like, help me. But <laughs> so the husband has the team. The husband has his bros. You know, he's got mm-hmm. all his buddies and here's the wife all of a sudden transplanted a new team. And yes, the team will take care of her and introduce her to the other wives. But still, you don't have your family. You don't no, have your, your girlfriends. It's mm-hmm. a lonely life. And also, you never know. When is he going to get traded again? When are we going to be moving again? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a really tough life. Some of them would say to me, you know, Kara, let me tell you what I've experienced. I would go to these banquets. And this woman in, in particular is a very accomplished singer, a keynote speaker. She said, I would go to these banquets with my husband, who is very famous, a very famous athlete. Mm-hmm. And I'd be standing there and people would come up and we'd both be smiling and they'd literally shove their coat into my arms, yeah. hand me their phone and say, can you take a picture of us together, please? Yeah. And she said, you know, my husband was very good at saying, would you like a picture? Would you like someone to take a picture of the three of us? And they were sort of like, oh yeah, okay. But she said like, 
you can be as tough as nails, but it does a lot. It does a lot to continually be the one that holds the stuff. And you have to find out what your purpose is or you will crumble. So I learned so much from them. They shared so much. So definitely Dahlia was inspired their um, social media influencers. I did a deep dive into them because I mm-hmm. am just obsessed with social media influencers. Who isn't? So Who fascinating, isn't? right? Yeah. And I have had, through my friend Kathy, I've had the opportunity to meet a couple and talk to mm-hmm. a couple. And it's just so interesting to see what makes them tick and how they live their lives and things like that. I mean, you know, yeah. they bring their followers to their most intimate yep. places. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. And, you know, I, I, I think of um, Ariel Charnon, something Navy. I followed that narrative a lot very mm-hmm. closely because I found it fascinating and yeah. how she was, you know, resurrected herself after getting in a lot of trouble. Like that yeah. girl is tough as nails. Tough. I have a I love her. ton of respect for her yeah. too. I'm a big fan of her. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Same, same. So it, that was really interesting. And then the whole Me Too, I have always been fascinated by the wives of the Georgina Chapmans, the Annette Lowers. Yes, yes. It's really yes. hard to find content, interviews with them, to hear their point of view. And I can remember when the whole Harvey Weinstein thing was blowing up, having lunch with some girlfriends and acquaintances saying, oh, for sure she knew the whole time. And if she didn't, that's on her. And Mm. I remember going, guys, how do you know? I mean, she was busy running this mega company. How do do you know she knew? We don't Mm. know that. Has anyone talked to her? Who's interviewed her? Who knows her personally? I mean, my gosh, her world just blew up. And she has children with this man. Yeah. She has children with this man. Like, yeah. imagine. Yeah. And it also so, goes back that whole that whole kind of debate also kind of goes back to what you had said at the beginning about like women taking down women. Like, how do we know? And absolutely. Who are we? You know, it's a it's a full circle. It's a vicious freaking cycle. But, Same with the Ariel Sharnot. Like the, yeah. some of her biggest attackers were women who were saying yes. horrible things. Horrible to things. Her. Yeah. Yeah, when that whole situation, all of it, it's just the the invasion of privacy of it all. So I take major umbrage. I mean, like we're we're all here to consume this type of content, but the lack of boundary is mind boggling. And I understand Isn't that, it? Like, it, but I understand why there is no boundary. But like it's it's absolutely absurd. But speaking of boundaries and kind of again back to the whole producing aspect of it, obviously, like Zoe being the producer of the show, a lot of the story follows her point of view like what was that like kind of putting yourself as a writer in the producer shoe and then kind of having without spoilers like that whole story kind of unravel right so I after Toronto Housewives happy ending I ended up producing reality television content okay you can see the sizzles for my show on caraalloway.com it ended up being the show ended up being called Dallas Planners Club and we're actually at the present moment we are marketing it and it's, it's amazing. About the charity scene in Dallas which is the fundraising capital of the world and how these event planners you know try to eat each other's lunch so <laughs> i had worked as a producer that was the golden gift so right. i knew how when you're on this side of the camera you have to make the content and mm-hmm. i remember when we were even just shooting the sizzle my cast came to me and had an intervention and sat down and went we need to know that you've got our back because some of the stuff we're shooting, we're worried. Like this is our profession. This is our brand. And Mm -hmm. I said, guys, interesting that you're a bachelor fan because the production company that did Toronto housewives had produced the bachelorette and the bachelor Canada um, in Canada. Canada. Right. Yeah. And when you're producing a show like that, it's very different because those people are one and done. Yeah. One season. Goodbye. When you're producing a docu soap, that you want, you know, second season, Longevity, and third season yes, first, for sure. you need those characters to stick around for the second and third season. Mm-hmm. You need those people there. Look at any Housewives franchise. They don't mix up the cast between yeah. season one and season two. So I said, guys, I have your back because I need you to come back. So trust me, 
We're going to go on the skinny branches. We're going to get close to the fire. You're going to be uncomfortable, but I've got your back. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, you will have a platform. You will be able to tell your narrative. I promise. Mm -hmm. So I had to get that trust from them. But at the same time, I had to set them up. I mean, there was two, in in my situation, there were two event planners that hated each other. Okay. And I had, uh, we wanted to do a scene where they showed up at a bridal boutique together. And one was upstairs and the other was downstairs. One was upstairs with her customer and the other was downstairs with his customer. And the, the, the woman in the boutique, who was such a great actress, is running back and forth between these two, trying to keep them apart. Right. And the one downstairs is like, wait, do I hear her voice up there? And she's up there going, you got to be kidding me. Right, she's down right. there. I'm not leaving till he's gone. I don't even want to see his face. It's too bad. That's not in my sizzle. It was such great content. And oh they God. all played along and they all did it so well. But I couldn't tell them in advance. I said, we're filming right. at this bridal boutique. Just go with it. And I didn't tell them in advance. Right. So, sneaky. Yeah. I couldn't tell her in advance. And I knew very well that Donnie mm-hmm. was going to show up. And I couldn't say Donnie's going to be here with his clients. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to do that. Again, I consider that augmenting reality. Right. I had Donnie there. I didn't say, you know, I didn't have Jordan up there saying, blah, 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 cherry pick, Frank and bite, cherry pick, right, which right. if people don't know what cherry pick and cherry picking and Frank and biting is, because they may not, um, Frank and biting is where you, what I was explaining, what happened to me, that's yes. Frank and biting on that first episode where you cut out the other dialogue yes. Yes. and you, you insert it, you in, superimpose you know, it somewhere else. <laughs> so yeah. you make, you make my, my dialogue be a running monologue mm-hmm. and you cut out the other people's interjections mm-hmm. or cherry picking is the, the tequila wife swapping. That's an right. example of cherry picking where, you know, you might have someone making a shocked face that was shocked at something else. Right. That doesn't match the, the magic of TV editing, <laughs> the edit. And let me tell you something yeah. I did. I went in there thinking I have friends on the other franchise. I, I know. know what I'm doing. Like I said, pride comes before a very big fall. Yeah. I was walking into a restaurant wearing super high heels on uneven pavement in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And the cameraman was walking backwards. And so I had to walk slow because he was walking backwards. And we had to do this again. We had to do a second take. And I said, you're going to have to walk a little faster because when you walk slow in high heels, you teeter. And yeah. I said, I look like I'm an idiot. I'm teetering here. And he said, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll speed up your walk in the edit. No and chance. you won't look like you're teetering. And I was thinking, wait a second, you'll speed up my walk in the edit. I had never considered the extent of the edit. So I was thinking, I'm going to be very careful about what I say. I'm going to be so careful about, you know, never considering, wait, how far can the edit go? hundred percent. There's no limit. There's no limit. So now that this book is out, like, what are you hoping people take away from it? Obviously people that love reality TV will like love this inside glimpse, but what are you hoping people really like as a broader message kind of take away from the story? The sisterhood. Come on, guys. The sisterhood has to get it together. And somebody said to me, if you could make T-shirts for a cause, what would it be? And at the time, I was on the spot. I was thinking, gosh, I don't know. But I thought about it after. And I said, you know what? I do know what it is. I actually called the journalist back. I said, excuse me. I do have an answer to that. You know, it's a big question. But I said, you know what? There has been certain... Um, words within our vocabulary that we have been able to label as toxic. That now if you go to a playground, no child will say that word because that's toxic. We don't say that. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we could do that with the concept of gossip. If you have a problem with someone, you go to the origin. You don't gossip. If the person isn't there and, um, you know, if you, a girl can dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phyllis Chesler says this all starts in the playground with the eight-year-old girls, mm-hmm. the independent thinkers, the uh, truth tellers. Those are the ones who are published or who are, who are punished. Because we, as girls, have a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And it starts at eight in the playground. And the top of the hierarchy will dictate how everybody has to think. Why can't we celebrate our differences? 
Why do we all have to march to the same drummer? And if you don't march that same drummer, how are you punished? It's not the little boys who are punishing the two drummers. And the little boys, if they have a problem with other little boys, they'll put them in a headlock or wrestle. (laughs) You know, and I'm not saying girls should be more physical, but little boys don't do that. Yeah. And there's a reason. I'll I'll tell you, I'll get to that in a second. I'll tell you what Dr. Phyllis Jessler purports to that. Mm -hmm. But the little girls, what do they do? They shun, they slander, they ostracize, and they gossip. They're told if you have a problem with someone, put it in your pocket take it away. Be polite. It festers and it gets ugly. We have to be big enough. If we have a problem with someone, go to them and say, look, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if my words offended you. It wasn't my intention, but at the same time I offended you. So that doesn't matter. Right. I offended you. Let's celebrate our differences. You think a, I think B. Okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Eradicate gossip, eradicate it. And the funny thing is Dr. Phyllis Chesler says this and I kind of went, Oh, I don't like that, but maybe that's where we have to start. Why doesn't this happen with men? Because women, we are so relational. We are so all in. I mean, we get a best friend and we tell her everything. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and she has, you know, very deep theories that the best friend replaces what the mother wasn't able to give and all of oh, these wow. psychological. Yeah, okay. her book okay. is a read. It's a read. But, you know, she says we we tell them everything. And then the best friend knows where the bone bodies are buried. Yes. So when we break up with that best friend. Oh my gosh, we have really exposed ourselves, haven't we? Men have middle ground relationships. They don't do that. They have the bro code. Men hang out in groups of three and four, and it's all up here. Whereas us, we are down in the weeds with each other. We are so, so maybe we need to start with middle ground relationships. If it's not, you know, a partner, then you can save it. Those Mm -hmm. relationships for that. But maybe that's where we have to start. I don't know. But we have to change. And the change has to start with the eight-year-olds because the eight-year-olds grow up and they do it as women. I mean, look at like she she even purports that gossip leads to things in countries like honor killings, because it's the mothers in law that hear the gossip that that you know help to carry right. out the the female genital mutilation. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to blow up your podcast and get so deep here, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, this Very is crazy. serious excuse me, but it's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. So we got to get into those playgrounds with the eight-year-olds. We got to say gossip is toxic. Celebrate the differences. I love that. Sorry. Love that. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, no, this was <laughs> such a great way to end. And I was so not expecting this conversation to take this type of turn and to get so like deep in the actual, like meaning behind this book and this story. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm so it's excited. It's a light read. Oh my goodness. I don't want people to go, holy no, cow. I don't no, know. no, no, no. There's layers. I there's can layers. attest. I can attest. I can attest. <laughs> it's totally a fun read, especially if you're somebody like me that like loves reality TV. The peeling back of the curtain is so much fun. The drama is so like salacious. It's so fun. All of it is so great. So thank everyone, you. Coming please. from you, that means the world. Oh really, my God. Really. Pleasure. My pleasure. But thank you so, so, so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This was incredible. I was, it was so unexpected and these are my favorite types of interviews because I never know what I'm getting into, but you really, really surprised me today. This was so much fun. Thank you, Leanna. You're such a, thank you. (laughs) You're an all. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) 